There's a profound silence in the world today because of the sufferings and the pursuit to prevent more suffering because of this virus that's been going all over the world. And so I wanted to look at the at the prophets in the Old Testament and see if we can gain some wisdom from them on how to live through this time and what it means. And so let's begin with a with a prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, we ask you to send your spirit down to be with us. Help us to know you, to hear your voice, and to be led by you through this time. We would not be overcome by fear or anxiety or anger, frustration or sadness, but that we would see in this time an invitation, an opportunity to believe more deeply, more fully in your power, in your providence, and in your plan. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is a reading from the first book of Kings, chapter 17, verses 1 through 6. Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve during these years, There shall be no dew or rain except at my word. The Lord then said to Elijah, Leave here, go east and hide in the Wadi Cherith, east of the Jordan. You shall drink of the stream, and I have commanded ravens to feed you there. So he left and did as the Lord had commanded. He went and remained in the Wadi Cherith, east of the Jordan. Ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the stream. The word of the Lord. So let's look at this passage. Let's start with the, uh, there's the, there's the literal sense and the spiritual sense. So let's start with the literal sense. So Elijah, what does the name Elijah mean? The name Elijah means Yahweh or God is my God or the Lord is my God. So his name is a declaration that he has a personal relationship with God. That's his identity. His identity is that his relationship with God is his identity. And it's a declaration. He's my God. We see this in in the letters of St. Paul. He talks uh, about God and he says, my God. And, and, you know, you read that at first, you're like, well, wait, isn't he my God too? Well, that's the thing is that that God is, is, uh, um, you know, he sees us in a spousal relationship. So it's like a woman saying, you know, my husband. Well, no, he's not my husband. He's your husband. He's not, my, you know, she's not my wife. She's your wife. It, it's, it's a personal relationship, and it's so personal. Even though everyone, you know, can can have that relationship, 
it's so personal that it's, it's proper to say, he's my God. And so then it says, he's a Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead. Now these places are, it's kind of vague uh, in the scriptures as to where they were. In the time that it was written, it was probably very clear where they were. But now uh, we're, we presume that, that this uh, location, uh, Tishbe in Gilead, is close to the Jordan region, region, not the Jordan River, but like the on the other side of the, the Jordan River, um, close to Israel is what is now even modern day Jordan. And it's kind of a desert area, kind of barren. And so, so um, he, he's just, you know, he's saying he's a regular guy um, from a little town in the, in the desert. And, um, and so, <clears throat> I mean, think, thinking about things like driving distance, it's about maybe three hours driving from, from there to Jerusalem, for example. Um, and so, um, so, but walking would be like maybe, you know, three weeks because you're going over mountains and, and things. And, and so it's, it's not real close in walking distance. It's actually not far from where St. Paul had his conversion in, in, on the road to Damascus. So, uh, so then it says, he said to Ahab, so who is Ahab? Well, Ahab is um, the king, and, and Ahab is, is married to Jezebel, the queen, and so they're actually descendants of, of King David, um, and uh, Jezebel was, you know, people have been talking now about a Jezebel spirit, and it's, it doesn't just mean lust, it means like every single kind of envy, um, and it's, it's just that you know, she was evil. She was, she was not an evil person, but her mind, soul, heart, and will had been given to lies, ugliness, division, and evil. So um, uh, Ahab uh, is the one that Elijah is speaking to. So why is he speaking to him? Why is he saying this? Well, in that time... Um, it says above in verse 29, in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel. He reigned over Israel in Samaria for 22 years. And so it says, he did evil in the sight of the Lord more than any of his predecessors. It was not enough for him to imitate the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, he even married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and went over to the veneration and worship of Baal. They erected an altar to Baal in the temple of Baal, which he built in Samaria, and also made a sacred pole. He did more to anger the Lord, the God of Israel, than any of the kings of Israel before him. And so... That's why God is bringing this, this uh, famine on, um, on Israel and sending his, his prophet. His prophet is, is, is there to you know, bring judgment. And, and like, gosh, is that fair? Well, uh, at that time, 
um, there was a hundred prophets and they were kept safe and we'll get into that in, in uh, later talks. They were kept safe by um, um, by someone that became one of the right hand men of um, Ahab but but um, but but then they slowly were were killed off and so Elijah is really the last one. He's the only remaining prophet and so um, so Elijah goes and he declares this, and when he declares it, it happens. And so what is God doing? Well, God is, uh, you know, we, we read all these Hallmark cards, you know, you know, you know God is love, and, and that's, that's true, that God is love. And so how is it that God would, would be so harsh in bringing a, bringing a drought upon Israel. Well, Israel had turned on all that was true, beautiful, good. The, they had divided themselves from God. And so, so why does he do this? Well, it's kind of like the practice that is almost never used anymore of excommunication. Excommunication is a medicinal thing. So the church for the last 2,000 years until recently, and I'm sure there's been other times that it's not been used as much, and probably those times were times when there was greater evil in the church, perhaps. But the, uh, the idea of excommunication is that it, someone is sent away, and St. Paul, for example, uses this with a, a couple of people he... He says, cast them out, and it's for their own good, so that they can realize what they are losing by living in sin, by living in, in blasphemy. And so, so it, it wakes us up to this reality. And, and I, 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 I don't ever like doing this, but, but when someone comes into confessional and they're, and they're living a life of sin, um, I and any priest were required by the law of the church, the law, the law of mercy. If someone is saying, I, I'm not going to turn away from this sin, and it's an objective moral evil that they, they know is wrong, but they're choosing to do it anyways, then I'm, you know, I, I am, it's only right for me, and it would be unloving for me, to say, okay, well, that's okay. You can just keep doing that. And I'll just give you forgiveness so you can keep coming back and doing that again. I mean, imagine if someone came in and they said, I, I just killed someone and I'm going to go kill some more people. Would it be right for me to say, yeah, God loves you anyways? No. The loving thing for me to do is say, say, well, if you keep doing that, you're choosing eternal damnation. And, and, and I don't want you to choose that. So I'm, I'm not going to give you uh, what you are not really ready yet to accept. Because when you are, the way I'll know that you're ready to accept, accept God's mercy is when you repent. When you turn away from that selfish design and turn back to God. But Ahab was not doing that. So now let's look at 
Elijah. As soon as he says these words, it becomes true. The rain stops. There's not even dew except at the word of God. and doesn't stop for, for you know, years. Lord sin then said to, to, or maybe not years, maybe it was a little less than years, but uh, uh, I uh, lost my place there. Um, the Lord then said to Elijah, leave here, go east and hide in the Wadi Cherith, east of the Jordan. So the Wadi, Wadi is like a creek. Um, and so, uh, um, so it's east of the Jordan, so maybe an offshoot from the Jordan, because the Jordan River is the main source of water um, throughout Israel and, and like the Sea of Galilee where Jesus spent most of his public ministry. That's where um, the Jordan flows in there and through there south. <clears throat> so, so he says, um, you shall drink um, of, the, of the stream. And so he's, he's in the desert and he's drinking of a stream. And I've commanded ravens to feed you there. So what is he doing? Well, he had Elijah declare this, this drought on Israel. And, and, and so Elijah, and Elijah's the last prophet. And so now, you know, this is like, you know, we love those, you know, John Wayne movies where, you know, you know he comes in, you know, guns swinging, you know, he's, he's you know, blazing, you know, <laughs> blazing a trail of, of righteousness in a town, you know, and, and uh, that's the kind of God we see here throughout this story. But what is he doing with Elijah? You know, there's always at the beginning of a old Western, you know, you see, you see the, um, you know, the, the main character goes through some, some challenge, some difficulty. So that when he comes back, he's, he's handled, you know, the greatest challenges. And so he knows how to come back and to, and to face it, to face the evil head on. And so, so what God's doing is he's taking Elijah out into the desert to form him, to form him in faith, hope, and love of all that is true, beautiful, and good to be united with God and God's will. So he left and did as the Lord had commanded. He went and remained by the Wadi Cherith, east of the Jordan, and ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the stream. And here I think we need to consider in our difficulties right now. Maybe you were trying to live a righteous life and even succeeding, or maybe you weren't, but now we're in the desert and we have all this time, we can use it to sit by the stream that the Lord has given us. And he even wants to give us bread and meat every day. What does bread and meat do? Well, the Eucharist is both bread and body. It has the, all the accidents of bread, but in reality, it's the real meat of our faith. It's the source and summit of our faith. And in this time, God's going to give you bread and meat 
in the morning and in the evening. When you begin your day, take time for silence. Real silence, true silence. You just listen to the natural sounds. Listen to the wind blowing through, through, the, through the tree branches. Listen to the birds singing. Listen even to the sound of, of traffic, of everyone else moving and the noise out there. Listen and consider the food that God has given you that day. What is the spiritual bread and meat? What is the, one is fuel and one is, is, is uh, strength to, to strengthen your muscles, your spiritual muscles and fuel to be burned for that day so that you can live growing as Elijah did in faith, hope, and love and surrender to the God who speaks in the silence and will lead you through the suffering.